This is episode number 10, Timing, Luck, and Talent, with Jenna Ashkovic. Welcome. My name is Oleg Loki, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. She said, it was frustrating. It would take a hundred no's before getting a single yes, but there was no other way around it. Embracing rejection was the only way. Giving up on her dream was not. Not for a girl from Long Island, New York. Not for a girl who wanted to be on TV since the age of three. Not for a girl who worked on Broadway at the age of nine. Without further ado, please welcome Jenna Ashkowitz. Once again, thanks for joining us today and... I figured that the best way we could start this off is by you sharing a little bit your upbringing and your background, why sure. you were adopted, and then we can go from there. Sure. Yeah. Um, I um, I was adopted at three months old from South Korea um, to my parents, Judy and Brad, and my brother Greg, and we were I was brought up on Long Island, New York. Um, it was a really positive experience. My dad is Sicilian and Russian and my mom is Irish and English. So I have kind of this, um, you know, broad spectrum of, of culture and ethnicity in our house. And my brother is also part Puerto Rican because wow. he's from my mom's first marriage. Yeah. So there's a, we're very, we're cultured in that way or <laughs> ethnic and, um, ethnically diverse. Um, but we also, I grew up in a, in the, in uh, you know, the suburbs, but in New York. And so it's quite diverse and, you know, not many, but there were some other, um, adopted children around that, you know, were at my school. And so I wasn't the only one, like some stories I've heard. Um, and I got into the, um, the entertainment industry at a really young age. Um, I was three when I started and, um, been performing and working ever since. Um, and that's been like a big part of my identity along with being adopted as well as being, um, sort of like a part of who I am. Um, unlike a lot of people, because through Kindred, my nonprofit, which I'll talk about a little bit as well. Um, I had a, a very positive experience growing up. Um, my parents from a very, I've known, I knew I was adopted since I can remember. Um, there was no secret <laughs> and, um, they, they always told me that I was their gift, that I was their little gift, um, mm -hmm. from the universe and that, uh, that's, and growing up, that's what made me special, um, in a way because, uh, I had this beautiful family that looked, you know, of course I got the questions. Why didn't you, you know, why don't you look like them? Mm -hmm. But, uh, but I had this beautiful, supportive family that, you know, made me feel special every single day to remind me that I was uh, loved and deserved to be there. And, um, you know, a family is is what you who you choose to bring into your life. And I believe that now um, even more so as I grow and, you know, as an adult. But um, anyway, I digressed. <laughs> I, um, I grew up. And I went to Catholic high school. I was performing along the way. Um, and when I got to college, uh, I went to New York City. I went, I went to uh, Marymount Manhattan College, and I graduated in three years. And, um, and then sort of moved to California for this, you know, bigger job. I got a TV show called Glee and worked on that for seven years. And That's then... Awesome. My best friend, Samantha Futterman, who you should also definitely talk to, um, she has an amazing story. Mm -hmm. uh, she found out that she had a twin um, and they were separated at birth, both adopted from um, South Korea. And 
they reunited when they were 25 years old. And it's been like this crazy, happy story ever since. But um, Sam came to me sort of during the making of Twinsters, um, the movie about the two, the two girls, and asked me if I would um, come on and produce. So I started to produce that. And, you know, in the middle of it, I came in the middle of the Kickstarter. And there were all these adoptees and adoptive families and um, foster families uh, that were donating to this, you know, to the film. Because there aren't many films about adoptions. There's not many stories about adoption. There's not um, a ton. I mean, you have This Is Us Now, which is fantastic. And, you know, you have Twinsters. But a lot of the stories that we've heard were always about um, abandonment and loneliness and something missing. And there was never the story about, like, this happy family that, you know, sort of like mine and Sam's relationship, uh, uh, sort of upbringing. So through that, we started to find that a lot of adoptees were reaching out saying like, thank you for shining a light on adoption. Thank you for speaking about, you know, speaking about it or just bringing it to the light. So we were like, wow, we never had that growing up. We never had anything to look to or say like, they're like me or anything like that. And even, you know, being in the business as well, there's not many Asian actors out there. So, you know, <laughs> we had very few things to sort of identify to. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we decided to start the Kindred Foundation for Adoption. And it's sort of being reworked right now and revisioned. But uh, our essential goal is to allow people to tell their stories, feel um, supported by other adoptees, to know that nobody is alone, that everybody's story is personal and different and is an experience and it's a challenge in its own right. And, um, you know, we're, we're able to supply funds for families reuniting, for translation services, for support, for... Um, Sort of like anything that people need, we or adoptees or foster families or foster kids need, we sort of were like, this is what we're here for. We're like the hub, and there's so many um, organizations out there that we weren't trying to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. We were just trying to be like the first stop to say, hey, I really need help with this. What organization could help me? And we sort of lend them, lead them to somebody else that we know within the greater adoption community. Um, so that's sort of the overlying <laughs> of my life and my upbringing. Did you, have um, any, did you have any obstacles along the way when you were adopted? I know that you spoke a lot about how, you know, your parents and sounds like your community supported you, mm-hmm. but were there any barriers, for example, in school, some of the other people that we interviewed, um, they said that, you know, one of the things they experienced was when they went to school and kids would say things like, you know, you're adopted because X, Y, and Z, like, you know, your parents right. didn't want you or they couldn't support you I financially. Was there anything like that in your life? I don't think people, I don't think kids knew, like understood what it really was. They just asked mm. um, why I didn't look like my parents. Why, or they're not really your parents because you don't look like them. Um, I've come across people who say, even now who, who, just aren't thinking before they speak and will say like, well, that's not blood. And, you know, you don't understand how that resonates with somebody who's adopted, who has a family that none of them are blood. None of you are blood relatives. Right. So that's me. I understand it. I can't get mad at it anymore. I'm not in, uh, I'm in a much more, a stronger place. Had somebody said that to me back in the day, I don't think I would have taken it as well. I don't think I would have had the tools to um, to understand where that was coming from. But um, you know, it, it's it's tough because you. What is the answer? Um, I I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. I don't look like them because they they chose to, to take me in, and and I actually don't know why I was adopted. I don't know my story. I haven't reached. I haven't looked for my birth parents. Um, so, you know, like I, I don't have the answers for them and not having the answers. I don't know if that's worse or better sometimes, Uh um, because your imagination can go wild. Um, for me, I, I don't know if my, 
my mother is alive, uh, my biological mother. I, I, for some reason, and this could be in my own sort of uh, metaphorical way, that she, I feel like she's passed away. And um, maybe that's just me sort of finding closure with the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I definitely had kids also, like, just because I'm, I'm Asian as well would make fun of my, you know, my eyes and do the slanty thing and, you know, say, you know, make those sort of slurs that are uh, unnecessary and childish. And that's what they were in school. But, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely went through it, but not quite as tough as I believe others to have gotten, (laughs) gotten it. Um, I was fairly lucky at it. And, I sort I sort of learned how to brush it off early because being in the business, the entertainment business, rejection is like your best friend. <laughs> so I kind of learned how to grow a pretty strong backbone at a young age. That's not to say I'm not my own worst enemy and very sensitive, but <laughs> it's something that I, I had to learn, sort of learn. So I want to take a step back and actually jump back to when you said you started this, you know, when you were three years old, because I think that's uh, fascinating when kids like that start yeah. with a passion and then go after it. Um, take me through that journey. You know, like, how do you fuel your passion? What keeps you going? Um, is that something that you decided on your own or did your parents have a role in that? Yeah, well, um, at three, my parents definitely decided, you know, they, I wanted to be on, I wanted to model and be on TV. I loved the camera, but, um, they were definitely the, um, the, the ones who put me into the business. But at such a young age, I learned, you know, that was what I did. I went into the city and I auditioned and I did commercials and, you know, worked on Broadway at at nine years old. So I definitely, um, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for sure. Um, at that young of an age, it's more fun than it is anything else. Um, you're less, you're not as concerned about paying your bills and, (laughs) um, getting the next job, you know, like it's just, you go back to school if you don't get another job. Um, at an older age when I started, when like I was deciding to go to call to pursue it in college and to actually pursue it as a career, my parents said, um, had actually asked me not to do it. They were like, we don't want you to go to school for it. We don't want you to make this a career. And I was like, how do you guys do that? You put me in for, you know, 14 years of my life and then expect me not to want to do it for the rest of my life. Um, because as a kid, I wanted to be a vet. And and that's that's what I wanted. Um, was it primarily because of the, you know, mindset that people have towards musicians and actors and the you know the hardships that you would have along the way of I, yeah making I just it think, financially. I don't think they wanted their yeah exactly I don't think they wanted their daughter to watch their daughter struggle mm-hmm. and then also to understand that as um it's different now in 2017 2018 but like back then there were very few roles for me and there were going to be very few roles for me and to make a full career out of it was going to be very difficult. And now I understand where they were coming from, but it's shifting and it's changing now, which I'm very lucky and, and, um, uh, feel very excited about, um, this sort of revolution of diversity in, in the media and in like the entertainment industry. But, um, going back to your question, I, I have had some lulls, you know, it is very difficult and it is, um, it's, it's just a tough business. Like I said, rejection, you get a hundred no's before you get one yes. And, um, to keep that passion going, there has to be, you have to have an understanding that this business is timing, luck and talent. And, um, I think that you have to have a, a sprinkling of each one and it's just at the right time it will, it will come. Um, and so in order to keep that, you have to keep perseverance, you have to keep passion, um, in finding the joy and why you do what you do. So when I'm not working, you know, I go see shows, I keep myself inspired. I write, I meditate. Um, I make sure that I'm still, working out and doing yoga and, you know, just doing all the things. Cause my body is my tool. Uh-huh. My body is my, my career. And so if I don't take care of that in the off season and, and make sure that I keep my sort of mind inspired, you're, 
um, you're at a disadvantage, I think. So everything I can possibly do to know that I'm, I'm, I'm prepping for the next thing is, um, how I keep myself fueled for, for the passion of it, because it's very easy to lose it. It's very easy to lose your passion. Um, when you're frustrated, when you're being held back, when you're feeling, um, at a disadvantage, which I feel like everybody can relate to and you're feeling like you didn't get that, the job promotion you wanted or, um, you know, just feeling like you're uh, invisible. I think, I think there's, go ahead. I think with something like what you're doing, there's especially an additional challenge, I think. And that is, you know, you have to perform and you're at a point where you don't, only have to perform, but you also have to, you know, generate money to pay bills and X, Y, and Z. And I think it could be difficult to lose or maintain that creative skill because then you also have to involve business and say, okay, you know, three hours equals this. I really have to, you know, give it my best. It loses its, its luster a little bit when you add the business side in, but I also think that's important. I think that people... I mean, people have to look at the, in, this industry that I'm in as a business as well. Um, because in the off season, it, it's like a balance between the two. You're making money. Some jobs you take to make the money to do the next job that makes you so creatively fulfilled uh-huh. and pushes you to the next sort of level in your career or pushes you to the next level in your in your um, creative threshold or, um, but yeah, there's a business side to it in, in everything that you're doing creatively. There's a, there's always going to be the business side that's being produced as well. And I think it's important to, um, understand it and be aware of it. So it doesn't take away what you can allow the creativity to, um, to do, you know, like, mm-hmm. because I feel like a lot of people who are just creatives who can't, who are trying to ignore the business side, you get frustrated more. And then when you get frustrated, you lose the inspiration. Yep. So I think to keep the inspiration going, the awareness of all of it is so important. To take us back through a time or two of when you had to overcome challenges along the way, whether that was <laughs> at the beginning of your career or you know, yesterday, whenever it was. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this could be a long podcast. <laughs> um, I mean, every day I think artists go through the challenge, like we're talking about making money and also being creative, choosing the right jobs. Um, I've been through many, I think auditioning is one of them in, in particular um, that you don't get in your own way. Um you know, sometimes I go on auditions like, uh, uh, I mean, I, all of them actually, but <laughs> I can go into an audition. I can prep for it as much as I possibly can. I get there. I see all the other girls in the in the waiting room that don't look like me or do look like me. I get in my head. I, everything I prepared is wrong. Everything that I did was wrong. It's not right. I'm not right for this role. You go in and you get in your own way. And everything that you makes you special and makes you who you are and what you do so inspirational just goes out the window because you're trying to be what you think they should be. Mm. And I think that's um, it's so important uh, to just be you. I know it sounds cliche, (laughs) but, um, you know, like when I sort of teach or give advice or do any, you know, question and answers with younger aspiring artists, they always ask me like, what advice, what's the one thing? And I can say, don't imitate, be you, um, give what you have because that's already, somebody else is already taken. And if you're trying to be the next star, if you're trying to be the next Adina Menzel and sound like her and look like her, there's already one of her. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to see a copy. You know, they want to see who you are and what makes you special and why you're a star. So Um, that was, you know, I think getting out of your own way is incredibly important and just to like ground yourself and to be, um, mindful of all of the things that you do that get you in your own way to, to focus on other things that will keep you in, in track to say like, do what you prepared, do what you think is right. Trust your instinct, trust your gut. 
Um, I think that's so important. And, you know, um, I think also growing up in this business was tough. I think, um, I've, I've overcome a lot with my, um, with being Asian and not having that many roles. I go out for ethnic roles where I see like in the breakdown where it says it's for an African-American girl and you go in because they want to see you and they're obviously open to seeing this, you know, you for this role and you go in and, um, you know, it's like people ask me like, is, how do you feel about that? And honestly, I go in and try and bring my, myself to the role, not, um, this Asian girl, you know what I mean? Or like Mm -hmm. if it's a breakdown for an Asian girl in, um, going in for like a CSI, you know, in, in the computer tech girl, it's like, I'm not trying to be the Asian nerd. I'm trying to be Jenna in this role. Um, I think that's, it's been frustrating and hard, um, to know that there weren't as many roles. Um, and to just making sure that I, I go in and like bring my own self. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I can share with you. Um, Do you think people in the music or I guess in this particular industry, are they becoming more open-minded to the type of roles? I'm just trying to understand for my, for myself yeah. why there are so many limitations to a particular um, I ethnicity. I think, or for another I think it's stereotype. I think it's, um, what they think people want to see or what people are accustomed to seeing is what people have been accustomed to see for so long that, um, you know, there weren't many, there weren't many black roles again, like, you know, Halle Berry was the first African American to win a leading actress and not like, um, win an Oscar for leading actress. It's like, there just weren't that many. And so we're repeating history over and over again, but there's change now. And, and people are, we have to be, people have to be willing to give you the opportunity to show what you can do and that you can prove them wrong, but it's like a double-edged sword. You know, you can't mm-hmm. show them unless you get that opportunity. I think that's also part of it. Um, but I think, yeah, it, it's tough and, and people weren't, and it was all about the stereotype. Again, it was like, um, you know, I would play a computer nerd or, um, I'm trying to think of like what else or the, the karate, you know, like sort of the, uh, martial arts in like, (laughs) in one of those movies, it's like, it's, uh, um, there was very few of those to begin with and it's silly. Um, so I'm really, I'm glad that it's shifting now and it's changing now and people are willing and open and giving the opportunities to be able to tell stories that are more diverse, Mm -hmm. different. Um, that makes sense. uh, yeah. And I mean, I, th- I think just, you know, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, how important is your network within a lot of this? And how are you developing it so that, you know, anyone who is listening that's an aspiring actor or writer can follow similar footsteps to how you got to where you are today? Um, do you mean my fan base or do you mean? Your mentors, people that are oh. actually helping you, you know, schedule interviews or meet certain people how are you oh, able uh, to find them along the way um mentors and people like that who are able i think you um if i'm if i'm answering this correctly and mm-hmm. you know stop me if i'm not um i think that if you surround yourself with the change makers you're going to become a change maker as well um I think in the industry, we're able to find a lot of those people very quickly. I think because there's a lot of them. I think artists are vocal and passionate. And so we're able to sort of surround ourselves in these communities that, you know, on Broadway and on TV that have these voices and celebrities having voices and being able to sort of follow them and and, um, use your uh, platform to... um, for good and for change. Um, and then as far as like, you mean like maybe my agent and my manager and all of them, you know, they, uh, I think we all want to see this industry grow and thrive with diversity and with, um, you know, uh, if, is that correct? Is that yes. what you're looking yes, for? Yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I find, I love theater so much because every show you do, 
or at least every show I've done, um, is like another family to me and another set of people who have been where I have, um, I've been or see where I'm going and have great advice and great, um, things to share and just spending time with them, just sort of picking their brain and, um, watching the way that they interact with others and the way that they use their voice. I think it's so um, amazing and inspirational to sort of follow in their footsteps. You bring up a very good point regarding building a platform for change. So I wanted to take, um, I wanted you to take us through the experience that you had with Glee Mm -hmm. and the type of platform you were building for yourself at the time. How did you, what was the purpose behind, you know, obviously it's, to act yeah. and um, pursue what you wanted to do for a long time. But was there anything yeah. larger than that that you were trying oh, to absolutely. build for yourself? Yeah, that's easy. I, you know, um, with Glee, like it's an, it was just another job when I got it, obviously. Um, I loved the script and I loved the idea of it because like who gets to sing and dance on TV? It's very rare. <laughs> so I was really excited when I got to be a part of it and gotten the opportunity from, from Ryan and, you know, everybody over there at Fox. And so... Um, when I, when it, when the show sort of blew up and became like what it was, we started to realize there was something much bigger than us. It was also the time that Twitter was, um, starting and Mm -hmm. sort of like blowing up. So we all sort of started our Twitter accounts together, like at the recording studio one day, not really understanding what it was going to turn (laughs) into. Um, and I think, there's so many things that I, I was able to do and use my voice for. And that's really uh, when I learned how to use my voice in a way that I've, I saw others doing it um, because I had the platform, because we had so many people listening to what we were saying and representing. Um, starting with in the show, just being the underdog and representing a whole group of high schoolers that you don't normally see on TV. Normally you see Gossip Girl and, you know, the OC and all these rich kids in Beverly Hills. And like, it's, it's just not as tangible and as accessible as all these kids and all the issues that they wrote for us on this show. Um, and the social issues and, you know, being gay or being, um, bullied or, you know, anything like there were just so many, um, present issues that had not been spoken about, I think, in in those generations on TV. Um, so to be able to hear from our fans, like how we were changing their lives and helping them build confidence and start glee clubs and music in schools, um, I think being able to support arts in education, I think is undeniably Man, should be mandatory. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, science, science says that if you, if you play music and you do more, if you're involved in the arts, you're going to do better. And all of the other, um, academia that you're involved in, I just, it, it's, it's still like very, I still feel very passionate about it. And I'm very, um, uh, a very big supporter of it. And I don't understand why arts, you know, is being cut from schools. <laughs> Um, it's absolutely ridiculous, but anyway, um, also being able to use my platform for, I, with Oceana, who is, um, uh, this amazing nonprofit that concert helps uh, with the conservation of our oceans and our marine wildlife, Mm -hmm. um, being able to be an ambassador for them and go on these incredible trips and, um, to see things firsthand were just. Um, it was really, really gratifying and, uh, yeah, I think it was important. I think it's important and I think it's a part of who I am is to give back. I, I, I can't remember, you know, now like imagine not giving back and not being a part of this sort of, um, the America, the America of the, the charity of America, because uh-huh. what I learned is like in other countries, nonprofits are not a thing and it's not a charity is not a massive thing. So I really love that we're able to do that and I'm able to be a part of it. Um, and yeah, I think um, the the basis, I think, of Glee was just the to represent those who were feeling underrepresented and the underdog and music and um, bringing up cultural issues that had not been spoken about and um, 
Yeah, uh, sorry. That was, <laughs> and no, using for- Twitter, Twitter as well too, sort of. Um, Build up connect. the platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and connect with people in a different way. How much um, was service? Was service ever a big component of your upbringing and your family? Because, you know, I'm noticing that throughout a lot of the interviews, um, some people were either givers their whole life, others were takers at a point, and then they had, you know, a very mm-hmm. pivotal point where something happened and they kind of realized, mm-hmm. oh, maybe instead of taking, I should give more. And in return, I'll get more. That's it, so it, interesting. Is, is that something that you've experienced within your upbringing or how did you develop um, that? You know, I think from a very young age, my mother always taught me to be kind. I remember always being so nice and it, it, it almost to a flaw at some, I remember like kind of being um, like a welcome mat as a kid where, you know, people walk all over you and um, they take advantage if you give too much. So I think over time, time, I learned how to put my guard up a little bit or, you know, on, only give so much uh-huh. because I think it's important to keep some for yourself, obviously. Um, but kindness, I think my mother, like when you go to school and you have a birthday party, which I was lucky to have, you know, and, and you invite the whole class, you don't need anybody <laughs> I out. I did the same exact thing. That's funny. <laughs> And I just remember her and she said she had such a big heart. She has such a big heart. And I think that and I get my my big sensitive heart from her. But um, I think it wasn't it, it, it was like in that realm, it, it was manifesting itself in kindness as a kid and always including people and never leaving anybody out. And if somebody was sitting by themselves, like my mother's always taught me, go and and say hello and put yourself in their shoes. And um, she taught me perspective, which I, that's what I understand as perspective in those younger years is just putting myself in somebody else's shoes for a little bit. Um, and then as I grew up and started to understand what that was, I think the kindness manifested into this um, charitable thing is always in giving back. And I was so, I always felt so lucky. I felt so lucky to be given this life and given this second chance, if you will, mm-hmm. and given this op- all these opportunities with this amazing base of support and love. So I think it just manifests itself in a way in me that was like, I have, I have no other choice. I have no other um, feelings, but to give back all the luck and the, and the happiness that I had in my life. It's interesting that you say that because, you know, I felt a very similar way that, you know, even though I had so many challenges before I got to U.S. that I had to overcome. And, you know, there were actually multiple times that I look back at my life and I said, well, you know, why me? Why did I have to go through a lot of that? And, you know, the conclusion I came up Mm -hmm. with is that if it's not me, then who else? And I think that's a good mindset for a lot of people to have is that, you know, we all have our own lives. And just like you said before, we were starting um, this podcast is that mm-hmm. every story is unique. Right. So, you know, if if you're not the one writing it, then who else right. is going to do that? Exactly. Yeah, I think I think you you kind of um, you have to put yourself in other people's shoes and walk around for a bit. I think if anything else, you know, I think it's important to understand where people come from, why they do what they do. Um, even if it's out of ill intent, even if it's bad, I think anger comes from misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. And I think if we're able to understand and give back in a way, I think it's, um, I don't know. I, I feel just so fulfilled from being able to, just uh, understand from a different a different point of view. Absolutely, you know. Well, it gives it gives you a more rounded perspective after that. So, yeah, yeah, and I think yeah, I I, I don't know. I'm <laughs> I'm rambling now. <laughs> I I also think that's uh, those instances you know translate into you becoming a better leader within your community, and that's so that's a topic that I wanted to get into briefly. And uh, first, yeah. I want to ask you is. What do you think defines a great leader? Oh, my goodness. Um, 
I was a, I was a born leader. Um, and some people aren't and they become them. And I think that's also possible, you know, like, um, I think a great leader is somebody who leads by example, um, whose actions speak louder than their words. Um, I think a great leader is somebody who gives hope and uh, sort of focuses on change, good change, Mm -hmm. and um, is a a person who is of the people. Um, Like, you know, if you're not sharing your experience and not sort of on the same page, like, how do you relate? You know, how do you get people to follow you if they can't relate to you? So I think that's important is um, uh, the accessibility you give. Mm-hmm. And yeah, is, is I there... mean, it's tough. There's all different kinds of leaders too, you know. Absolutely. Is there a person, I'm sure there are multiple people in your life, but is there one that you can pinpoint that illustrated a lot of, a lot of these qualities and yeah. you know briefly tell us how you know, one of your first encounters with you recognizing that person as a leader hmm. that's a good question um i immediately when you asked me i came you know my my high school theater teacher who led the whole department um he became he was my mentor he became he still is um to this day and, um, he was, you know, as the department head, he's already given the title of a leader, but when he spoke to us, when he shared things with us, when he taught us, um, he inspired us. He played music and songs that would never, would that never sort of left our brains. And he would always teach us how he would always like leave these little like quotes and one-liners that would just stay with you like Yoda, you know, like he was just mm-hmm. like a, a, a tall Yoda that, um, and I remember, um, ever anytime we got a compliment, you felt very accomplished from him because he was such a, a force, um, that you kind of feared a little bit. <laughs> You're uh-huh. kind of scared of, um, he played a song for us about um, what a way, like what a way to spend a day, um, and it was about him playing, you know, music. And I just remember like being so inspired by it. I don't know what that was or why that was. Um, I can sort of try and talk it out with you right now, but <laughs> he, he uh, you know, I think he really just he led by example. Um, he practiced what he preached. I mean, he would tell us don't cut corners. Like I remember that one really well as an actor and as a performer and in life, I think like not cutting corners is really important. Um, and I remember him teaching us that and he never cut corners. He was always like fully dedicated and fully a hundred percent. And, um, I think like we just kind of wanted to like be like him. Like he was like almost a leader that you idolize that you're like, wow, I, I would love to sort of be like you one day and, and teach the things that you taught me to other people. And so I think that was like, like the knowing that he was our leader or when I like sort of knew it's just like seeing him do the things that he preached. Very interesting. So it sounds like he believed a lot in the process and just in yeah. himself overall. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. And I think the process in life and I think the process in any sort of um, theatrical experience that you go through as an actor is like so important. So, and understanding what that process is. So, yeah, you really have hit the nail on the head with that. Have you always had that as, um, you know, as, as a person or did you have to make a transition in your life where you had to start believing in those two factors first yourself Uh, and then the process of, you know, becoming an actor and after five to 10 years hitting a milestone that you've wanted, but knowing Mm -hmm. that it will take that many years to get to where you want to be. Yeah. I mean, well, 
for my own, like internally, um, sort of becoming who I want to be and who I, you know, where I want to be in my process as an actor and my process as a human, um, growing up, I think it's, uh, you don't really know when you hit them cause you don't really know like that you wanted to, it's just about the process I think. And, um, if it makes sense. And I'm, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a goal oriented person. I like achieving things, but I think the process is like going with, going with the flow uh-huh. and also doing everything you can to achieve those goals along the way. Um, it's like a little balance of both. And I feel like becoming who I, I are becoming confident, becoming, um, who I wanted to be. And as an artist is like, I think it's a a never ending battle. Mm -hmm. I think I'll always be trying to achieve something greater. Um, and I think that's perseverance. I think that's just the way that artists are, um, because we go from job to job as well and have new achievements each time. Um, I think there's there there's an element of that in like innate in us, um, but definitely like booking like big jobs, you know, like booking um, my first Broadway gig and then booking my second Broadway gig and then booking Glee. I think there was um, you're like oh wow all the things that I had been working for that I thought weren't going to work or weren't working at the time culminated to this moment. Mm-hmm. So you didn't know it was coming, but like the process of working towards something you don't really know what it is, is still important. (laughs) Um, If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, It's it's all just part of growth. And I'm sure as you booked each one, you know, each one of those was a stepping stone of self-confidence from one to another. A a confirmation of where I was, I was supposed to be where I was um, Mm -hmm. a confirmation of the hard work that I had put in confirmation of the frustrations that I had experienced. Um, you know, to get me where I where I was, but yes, they were all sort of self confirmation, self affirmed moments in in for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and Glee in the six years, I think each year was a milestone for us, and each season was something different, and we were we were all growing up at the same time. So, I think each year was like, wow, I, I learned this this year, and this year I learned patience, and this year I learned, you know. Um, uh, to be kind to myself and, you know, I continually am still doing that. So that's great. I wanted to jump back briefly to your experience and give you a chance to talk about your podcast, Epic Fail and the purpose of it all and why you're (laughs) developing that platform. Sure. Um, well, season one, if, or the first year of my podcast was called infinite positivities. And that was, um, I took chapters from my book that I wrote in 2013 called Choosing Glee, which was 10 steps to the most inspired and and happy you. Um, And I took inspirational guests, guests that I had worked with before, guests that I hadn't worked with before, and talked about, you know, topics from the book, uh, positivity, failure, all of the, and all in the in-between. But after 10 episodes of that, I was like, I'm a little tired of talking about positivity. We're not always positive. We're not always happy. I mean, I'm I'm really positive. a really positive person, but I'm I'm not always happy. It's so, always a balance. Yeah, there's a reality to it. I think mm-hmm. that like inspired me to show the other side. And so, Epic Fail is live performers that I speak with. A lot of them are friends or that I've worked with before as well. That um have epically failed on stage or in front of people. And I think it's so important for people to see um, successful performers, successful people in their craft messing up because we all do it every single day we're supposed to. And so I, I just loved, it made me laugh. It made me feel better about myself sometimes. It made me feel worse about myself sometimes. But I think there's something very accessible and real. And that's what I wanted to bring to the listeners. What's what's the vision of it moving forward? You know, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, the response has been so good. We finished about five months ago, um, the whole thing. So by the time it aired, it had already we had already finished. Um, 
So I'm, I'm compiling a new list of people that I'd love to talk to. And I'm just sort of waiting to see if, if we're going to do another season. But I, I sure hope so, because it's really fun. <laughs> it's a really enjoyable time. Um, I think, yeah, it just it's sort of like a relief to like know mm-hmm. that it's okay, a reminder to know it's okay to mess up and that we have to laugh at it too. I think it's important to like laugh at yourself laugh at the mistakes because if you don't like you know somebody said to me yesterday I thought it was so interesting she's like do this right now what you're doing and make it the most important thing that you'll ever do in this life and then also remember that it doesn't matter at all and do it like it doesn't matter at all and it's so true it yes we have to treat and we have to commit and we have to dedicate ourselves to anything that we do but like we have to remember that like it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it goes away. It may, we, not in our minds, but like it goes away. At the end of the day, we're just yeah. humans serving Human. a purpose. And you yeah, know, and, ev- everyone's on a similar journey despite being in different industries and fields. Exactly. And trying to find what that purpose is and like continually evolving that purpose and changing that purpose. And, you know. So, so uh, per- you bring up a good point with purpose. I mean, it's obviously yeah. something that you've developed. You know, at I developed at a young age. Yeah. A, yeah. Um, do you have any advice happy. for people who are still trying to figure this out? You know, for yeah. me, for example, um, a lot of it does relate to my upbringing and experience. But I also am a big believer that, first of all, you don't just wake up one day and say, okay, this is my purpose. <laughs> this is my passion. You, you develop that concept over time. Exactly. <laughs> but I think the yeah. main component of it is commitment. I think it's really yeah. just committing to something that right. you want to do and then seeing it evolve and use that as inspiration yeah. to continue from day to day. Right. Do you have any other, you know, yeah, points that people can um, use? I think it's I think it's awareness as well. I think you have to be aware of what you what you enjoy doing, what you love doing, because if you don't love it, like a purpose is something that really rings true in your heart that like burns a fire in you you know a purpose is like a passion you have to find the thing that you love and want to share with the world right that's what kind of the way I look at a purpose Mm -hmm. um so you have to listen to yourself as well if it's not if you've if you've committed to something and it's not right it's okay you'll find it you'll find something else so like listen to the change, listen to the awareness of what, what your, your instinct is telling you. Um, and I also think, um, you know, I was lucky to find it at a young age, but like, it's never too late to change it. It's never too late to, you're, you're not like behind the curve. Some people are just not meant to find their purpose until like a a little bit later. So, um, yeah, commitment, dedication, awareness, instinct um i think they all sort of form into this like this ball of fire (laughs) what what do you do if this might be hard to answer for both of us because you know we we don't have that experience but what do you do if for example your purpose or your passion is bound to come you know 10 years from today how do you maintain that motivation and larger vision knowing that there will be a time when you'll discover it. I think it's hope. I think you have to know that it's going to come. You have to keep searching for it. I think again, like, you know, as an artist, like you persevere, I think you, somebody who hasn't found their purpose, that's okay. Like as long as you love what you're doing or loving the, the process, I think you have to like find the things that will lead you there. So if you're not happy, like you have to find what's going to make you happy. Um, small steps, you know, just small things and, and you'll get there. Um, um, I think it's patience as well. Like there are some days where I'm like, I'm quitting today, you know, like (laughs) I'm quitting and that's it. And I know I'm not going to, but like it's, um, everybody has their challenges Whether you have you're in your you're with your purpose or you're not uh-huh. so like you have to remember that as well um and like just persevere it will happen and you will find it and um it's okay if you you don't have it right now like it's just about continually searching in the process interesting 
Um, this is a question we ask all of our guests. When odds yeah. are completely against you, mm. what are some core fundamental principles that you always refer to? The odd, the odds are against you. What tools do I use? Yes, exactly. Um, I, I, I go to the things that inspire me. Um, I will write. I will meditate. I will go do yoga. I will snowboard. I do the things that that make me happy to find the level of balance to like keep going. You have to find the thing that will keep you going because like if not, you'll lay on your couch under a blanket and <laughs> lose everything. You know, like yep. there's a sense of um, finding joy in talking about it. I mean, therapy was like my best friend and um, just remembering like also when the odds are not against you, mm-hmm. remembering the moments when they were. Mm-hmm. I think that's important is when you're at the top of your game and you are feel like you are just winning. Remember the moment when you went shit, like it's not, it didn't, it wasn't like it, it keeps you grounded. It keeps you, um, grateful for it, everything. That yeah. Yeah. Appreciative in a way. And also just reminds you of like that it might come again and you can remind yourself of this full circle that continually happens because it's life <laughs> and it'll happen. If that's, that's amazing. No, that makes, that makes perfect <laughs> sense. Do you have any final advice for our listeners who are aspiring actors and writers? I know that you spoke a lot about, you know, the yeah. different tools that they can use. Do you have anything else for them that they might be able no, to I put just, into practice? I mean, again, it's it's talent, it's talent, timing, and luck. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, talent, timing, and luck. Um, work hard. Um, keep yourself, you know, like just remember it's not everything. You know, you have to like find hobbies and things that keep you going to keep you inspired. Um, I think I'm repeating myself over and over and over again, but like be yourself and, um, I don't know, smile (laughs) and that can never hurt. uh, No, I know it really, if you just find, if you smile a little bit, like when I'm working out, I smile just because I'm so angry. And so (laughs) you just have to find the things that like just little things step by step, day by day. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of our latest episodes along with featured stand-up and speak-up stories and ways you can be involved with Overcoming Odds. Once again, thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next week.